Welcome to the Product Podcast, brought to you by Product School. Here, you'll get fresh insight from the people at the very top of the tech companies who make the products we love. Remember, you can learn product management live online. Visit productschool.com to discover our new certificate path. There, you can also join the world's largest community of PMs and network with the leaders from these podcasts at our online events. There's something happening almost every day. Uh, hello, guys. Uh, uh, my name is Saurav, and I'm a product manager at Booking.com. Uh, I work in the payments department, uh, and today I'll be sharing with you guys uh, my thoughts around AB Experimentation 101. Uh, as it's public knowledge that Booking.com is a company that relies heavily on uh, the data-driven approach, and uh, we do all our rollouts and all our changes through experimentation, and we are widely known for that. So I would like to give you just uh, a basic class on AB experimentation for those of you who are not very familiar with it. And also, uh, I'm happy to deep dive into specific topics, etc. If you guys are uh, interested in something uh, to know more, uh, you can always reach out to me through LinkedIn. And I guess uh, you can find my details on the product school page. Okay, let's start. Uh, the objective of this presentation or workshop, uh, before pre-COVID times, we I usually used to do it as a workshop. But okay, what you'll get out of it is a basic understanding of A-B testing, uh, what it means, when it should be used, etc. Uh, how can it used, be used as a form of validation of your changes, uh, how to collect data and how to interpret the results and uh, how to formulate a good hypothesis and, and measure the results. And you should be able to understand better the business objectives set by product teams uh, by the end of the workshop and translate them into experiments uh, and uh, break them down into smaller and multiple experiments and formulate relevant hypotheses to prove your impact. Uh, this could be relevant not just for product managers, but also for designers, developers, uh, and anyone that's part of a product team. Uh, at Booking, uh, we don't restrict our experiments to product managers only. Uh, yes, we are at the forefront of it, but like everyone in the company is familiar with uh, experimentation and the tool, and we give everyone uh, the right to run experiments. Cool. Let's start with an example, right? So on, I have two screenshots here. Uh, they're from the website uh, Decathlon, uh, and I just uh, want you to compare uh, the left side, let's say that's the base, and the right side, let's, that's your variant, uh, and, and uh, basically look at the difference, right? So you can find that there are in total uh, three things that are different here, right? Uh, the bike is different uh, on the right side. Uh, it's a road bike compared to a, a city bike on the left. Uh, the image is significantly larger. And if you notice closely, there's also like a change in the order of uh, the text here. Uh, in the right, they've shifted road bikes on top. Uh, so is this a valid experiment to run? Uh, that's what uh, we are trying to answer here, right? Uh, now, uh, the thing is, uh, a simple A-B comparison is not possible in this case because there are too many changes and too many variables. So the idea is that for A-B experimentation, you try to isolate a single change 
so that you can uh, understand the impact of that change in particular. In this specific case, uh, let's say you see that uh, whatever is your primary metric works well uh, in the variant, but you cannot attribute it to whether it's because of the image, the size of the image or the text. Right. It could be that uh, if you did uh, one or or let's say all these three changes in separate experiments, two would have been positive and one is negative, and which means you could have more impact with those two changes compared to all three together. Uh, this is just an example, and now we can see uh, this is another example uh, is what I just changed, and uh, basically here the only difference is that you increase the size of the image everything else remains same uh, so this is a good example of a b test and you can really compare the impact of base versus variant uh, and the uh, impact the size of the image has on on your change cool now there are a few things when we talk about experimentation uh, that we need to know so there's primary metric, always uh, a North Star metric. It could be something said by your company or organization. It could be different in different experiments. Some companies don't have North Star metrics. Uh, then there are always like some supporting or secondary metrics, as we call them. Uh, then there are health metrics and binomial goals. So I'm going to explain and walk you through all of these. And uh, let's start with the primary metric. So. Uh, in, in the previous example, when we saw two bikes, the primary metric could be what do you want to achieve at the end of the day? Let's say more sales or conversion, right? So it's just an example, but you could also run that test uh, with the primary metric being the number of clicks on that category, right? Ideally, it depends on the approach taken by your company. Ideally, a primary metric. Uh, should be a North Star metric and that should show be able to show business impact. And when you run a test, uh, you should always aim for a conclusive change in a primary metric. Uh, by conclusive, what I mean is uh, it should be significant in terms of uh, the data that you gather. Uh, and so what are supporting metrics? Uh, while you have only one primary metric for your exp AB experiment, you can have several supporting metrics that can support your hypothesis, right? So, uh, for example, in this case, you could have the number of clicks, uh, the time spent, the uh, funnel conversion, and uh, different things, right? So, a, a good example of e-commerce uh, supporting metrics could be customer service tickets, uh, number of returns, cancellations, how we are doing overall in terms of uh, like the uh, hypothesis and health of the product, right? And then we have the health metrics, which uh, again differ from company to company. It, it's most probably defined uh, by your organization or a tech team, but these are typically related to the health of your product, like your performance, your page load times, your the speed of your website, the errors you see, the app crashes you have, etc. Right. So these are good to monitor in all experiments, so that you can find out uh, that there are no unexpected changes uh, in these health metrics. Finally, uh, there are binomial goals. Uh, you could say all uh, metrics are binomial goals, but basically you could. Uh, 
these goals are basically measured in all experiments right so it could be your bounce rate it could be your uh, some of the health metrics every metric can be categorized as a binomial goals but then you don't need to add them uh, as part of your experiment criteria but they are also good to monitor uh, so they give you like an idea of how your changes impact the overall website moving on uh, i have an example uh, from a very old uh, booking.com ui again we are uh, I cannot share very recent stuff. Uh, those are company guidelines. So I'll uh, just go through this example. So this is how our search results used to look like uh, some time back. Uh, and uh, these are two screenshots. Now, uh, if we were doing this in person, I would try to ask you to identify the changes, but like I'm already giving it out here. So basically it's just the spacing between uh, your your location and, and the description, right? Uh, now, believe it or not, this uh, experiment increased conversion uh, to a great extent. And uh, we can isolate uh, the result, the attribution of the result to this experiment because this was a single change that we measured. Again, you can ask uh, how did someone come up with the idea of this? It looks more probably like a bug that was missed by the developer, etc. Uh, those are all valid points, but this is just an example uh, that a small change could lead to such a big impact. Cool. The next question that uh, we get a lot, I get a lot, is typically how long should an A-B test be run or like in general an experiment be done? Right? There are two things to consider when you consider the runtime of a test. Uh, basically, how much traffic do you need? Uh, and what is the minimum change that you want to detect? Right. So I, I'll give you an example. The answer uh, is not straightforward. So you have the website traffic. You have a base conversion rate of your primary metric. Uh, let's take an example. If you're talking about conversion, let's say from your final checkout page to actual uh, conversions, the conversion rate is 70%, right? So now from that 70%, do you want to be able to detect a change if it goes from 70 to 71 or do you want to detect a change if it goes from 70 to 75 with the same traffic i'll show you with an example here uh, but then those are two different run times right because the more granular the change you want to be able to identify uh, the more time you need uh, given the traffic remains same and vice versa right so if the change remains same uh, the more traffic you have, the less time you need to run your test for. But as a rule of thumb, we always say that uh, even if you have enough traffic and your change is not too big that you need to detect, it should always be run for one or two full weeks cycle. And this is to uh, take into account any sort of diversity or seasonality, weekly seasonality that you might have in your customer behavior, right? Now you might say like, People might behave very differently in holiday season compared to summers, etc. Those are valid points, but it's just not feasible to run experiments for a year long. So this is the best trade-off we can have. This is an example of a power calculator uh, that can tell you how long you need to run a test. You can Google online. Uh, it's there from Optimizely. Uh, so basically, 
In the left and right, I'm showing uh, base conversion rate uh, is 30 percent. The num the traffic uh, and the number of variants and and how much users are tracked is exactly the same. Now, if you want to detect the change, like whether your change is going from 30 to 31 percent. Uh, then you need 37 days to run that experiment. But if you only want to detect the change, if conclusively, if it's uh, going from 30 to 35, then you can just run for a day, technically, right? What this means is basically, in if you run it for a day, and let's say you improve conversion by 4%, you will never know conclusively that it's uh, true. Uh, I hope that makes sense, yeah. So, as long as it's it's not more than 5% impact, you won't have a conclusive result. Uh, and in the other case, if you run for 37%, you can detect up to 1% granularity. Cool. Uh, next, we move on uh, to the hypothesis. Uh, so every experiment uh, before you run it should have a hypothesis. A hypothesis is basically why you want to run an experiment and what outcome you wish to have. So uh, yeah. Uh, it's a nice saying that like it if you don't have a hypothesis like throwing spaghetti on a wall and see what sticks so basically you are throwing stones in the dark and you don't know what you're aiming for right so hypothesis uh, is usually the tool that protects us from all our own biases so now next we look at how to formulate a good hypothesis so uh, a hypothesis could look something like this right so based on a certain uh, evidence it could be based on past user behavior or data that you've collected or talking to your users it could be from research etc we believe that if we make this change what is your change uh, for what type of users it could be for everyone or it could be very niche for logged in users from the netherlands uh, it will help create what impact for them right so this is your core hypothesis and then you have a validation for the hypothesis basically and how will you know it your hypothesis holds true so we will know uh, that this hypothesis is true if we see let's say you can say a reduction in customer support calls or an increase in conversion or uh, increase in p uh, a reduction in drop-off rate or increase in people going from search results to the product page right so we will know this is tr true if we see this change in the primary metric that you have so all, all the ones I gave examples for could be good primary metrics. So, And uh, why is this good for the business, right? So this is good for the business because if you increase this primary metric, then uh, it affects certain business KPIs. A primary metric should always be able to correlate it uh, with the business impact. So that's your uh, cheat code to form a good hypothesis. Now, you can, of course, have uh, tons of more details in your hypothesis, but uh, ideally, this is the bare minimum you need. And a good hypothesis, uh, remember, it protects you from your own biases because once you see the experiment results, it's very easy to say, okay, uh, I did not expect this or I expected this being biased from the results that you see. And people do it even unconsciously, right? So it's very important to formulate and have a good hypothesis before running the experiment. Cool. Next, uh, I get a lot of questions or we at Booking get a lot of questions. Typically, how many experiments do you run at a same given time, right? And the answer is like hundreds, sometimes thousands, right? And uh, a lot of people ask, okay, 
uh, isn't there interaction between these experiments, right? So uh, the answer, uh, there's no straightforward answer to that, but I'll give you an example in the next slides. But uh, yes, uh, there could be interactions if some things are very, very closely related. There could be uh, impact from one experiment on another, but typically uh, over a large enough uh, data set, that impact seems to be distributed equally on both variants. I'll explain what I mean with this example, right? So let's say we are running two experiments in parallel. The first experiment is that your variant uh, and has a different font than your base, right? So uh, in this, you can see like a sans font, open sans, and in this on the right, you have a serif. And your experiment two is changing the color of the button. So on base, you have a green colored button, in variant you have a yellow colored button now uh, it's true that these experiments are very related but what will happen over a large enough uh, set of users and data is that the impact of experiment two uh, the colors will be equally distributed uh, in the base and variant of uh, the fonts experiment right so if if i look at the base, which is this, the font stays the same. 25% of people will be exposed to green and 25% of people will be exposed to yellow while the font stays the same, right? So, and the same treatment will happen for people in variant. So over a large enough uh, set of users and data, uh, the effect of the green and yellow should be equal across the variance of experiment one. I hope that is clear. Uh, moving on uh, and finally I think uh, so there's there's uh, a lot of questions around okay uh, the AB experiments are typically comparative experiments right so uh, what if you need to do a feature rollout or uh, improvement where you're fixing a bug where you're not necessarily expecting things to be better but uh, you just uh, need to do it right even there's a form of experiment that you can use for that so uh, it's called non-inferiority test. You can use them for feature rollouts, uh, new products, uh, and and bunch of other things. I try to explain what that is. So typically, uh, non-inferiority tests uh, are experiments where you say that your variant uh, is not worse than your base, right? So it it is at par, or it is not worse by a certain extent by more than a certain extent right so i'll give you an example what i mean so and this is again from booking uh, a couple of years back we introduced a feature uh, called uh, payment receipt right so uh, this is uh, this was actually done by my team uh, and uh, i'm taking this example from payments so you can see that this is base where there's no uh, receipt, no no option for the user to get the receipt. And in variant, uh, you see the print receipt option, right? So this was a feature that was creating a lot of CS inbound. Uh, we had requests from guests, etc., etc., right? Uh, and and uh, we needed to do it in some geographies because of legal reasons like Japan. Uh, so you see here that we set up this experiment as a non-inferiority test. What this means is we are saying that our variant is not uh, 
worse than our base. So our, my primary metric in this case was customer service tickets uh, or contacts by guests. And I'm saying that the variant will ha have, will not have more than 2% customer service contacts compared to base. And this is what you see is the non-inferiority threshold. And uh, you can see that uh, this is uh, the limit that we are set and the uh, results you can see is 0.78% increase, but it's within the threshold and there's a standard deviation of 0.92%, right? So this is a good enough result and that's why the significance shows up as yes, because it is a one-sided test and uh, the results are valid based on your one-sided test. Uh, finally, I'll, I would like to give you some more examples. Uh, like I said, typically, if you're doing this in person, I would uh, like to do an exercise with uh, you guys, but I, I think you guys can do it by yourself as well. So I will just try to uh, tell you the problem statement. So uh, basically, uh, if you can, by yourself, try to identify at least two experiments that are going on currently in Amazon.com. So what you need to do is basically open Amazon.com and open it in an incognito browser so that uh, your cookies are not saved, your details are not saved, uh, and you can see uh, uh, the website experience as a new user would see it. And experiments are typically allocated randomly to different cookies. So every time you close, uh, you need to close the window of the incognito browser and reopen again, you might be able to locate different experiments. Or, or if you can do it on different computers, that works as well. So that's what I mentioned, experiments are randomly assigned based on cookies because you're not logged in. Sometimes experiments are done based on your user account or email address, or if it's an app based on device ID uh, and uh, try to identify, go to amazon.com and try to identify uh, two experiments that are currently being run. I would give you an example. These screenshots are taken like a few weeks back. Uh, but uh, before we go to that, like the goal of the exercise is that you should be able to identify two experiments and formulate a good hypothesis on why Amazon.com would be running that experiment in the format that we discussed before and what could be the primary and secondary and the health metrics for that experiment, right? Now, because we are doing it offline, I would give you two examples uh, uh, that I found. So here you can see, again, I did this uh, on my browser on incognito uh, a few weeks back. So uh, by opening it multiple times, I could see different experiences and I took screenshots, right? So on the left, in both cases, I'm not signed in. On the left, you see that there is a carousel of uh, recommended books probably or, or most popular books on Kindle. Uh, and on the right, that is missing. So that's one experiment. Uh, I don't know if it's still ongoing, you might be able to find the same or uh, they might be running other experiments. And then, and there's another uh, experiment on, uh, ongoing that on the right, you see that there's a prompt to sign in because I'm not signed in. Right now, this did not show up after a certain time period. Uh, some of you might be wondering, it was just there the minute I opened the website. So, this is definitely an experiment that's being run by Amazon. Right? So, 
these are the kind of uh, A-B experiments uh, that uh, are run by companies. And of course, uh, they have their own hypothesis and metrics. So let's talk about one. Uh, let's take the carousal. Uh, the hypothesis for introducing the carousal could be that by introducing, uh, let's say, top-selling books on Kindle by uh, for new new non-logged-in users, uh, we could help them navigate the website better, and that will lead in more people uh, purchasing with us or more shine-ins, whatever is your primary metric, right? Uh, so that's just an example. In this case, your primary metric could be uh, more purchases on Kindle. It could be more sign-ins. Uh, that could also be a secondary metric. Uh, your health metrics could be lower bounce rate uh, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, like uh, if you uh, are well-versed with the console uh, in some websites, if you open Amazon or, or some Facebook or some other website, uh, it is not that difficult to find how you attract in experiments. So you can you can find some things going on there. Uh, these are cookies assigned to different experiments and uh, you might be able to locate them. And uh, finally, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me via LinkedIn. Uh, my handle is Saurabhar. Uh, there's also a link here. And I'm open, always open for interesting product discussions, uh, be it on experimentation or otherwise. So feel free to reach out. And thank you so much for listening to uh, the talk and uh, spending your time with me. Uh, I hope you all have a good day. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the product podcast. If you like this episode, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes. For more product insights, head over to productschool.com.